will become a force for good or ill depends on man. Listen real close. Only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. Hey, Towers, what's your honesty parameter? 90%. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? Hi, everyone. This is 90%, a podcast about putting some meaning into the madness. In this episode, we cover the second half of my interview with Penilla W. Lauritsen. Penilla is the founder and CEO of MindJuice, a Danish coaching academy located here in Copenhagen. At MindJuice, they've taught over 120 half-year coaching programs within life, family, and leadership coaching. In this episode, we dive into a wide range of topics like having integrity and being lost and expressing ourselves, and the problem with self-help books that feed our ego. Penilla also talks about her book that will come out later this year and how to be a parent while running a business. I should mention that this episode was recorded a few months back around Christmas 2019. If you want to connect with Penilla, you can follow her on Instagram under the handle at Penilla underscore MindJuice. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Penilla W. Lauritsen. Something that you have taught me that makes it different in that sense, it's, it's something I've been thinking about more recently, especially with starting a company. Uh, and you have the opportunity to make something meaningful and, and making sure that what you're doing makes a difference, at least from where you're sitting. Um, so having this ability to to kind of like go for something that's making a difference out in the world that can then, you know, you do it because it makes a difference, but then it also gives you something because it makes whatever you're spending your days and hours on meaningful or at mm. least more meaningful. Um, how had that, what, how has that played a role for you in your life and with what you've been doing? Because, I think one of the slogans you have on your windows uh, it, it, down at MindJuice is um, your actions changes the world um, and and making a difference is something you've always talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, but but how does it come into like everyday life for you making a difference? Well, it's, it's, it, if I understand your, the question right, it's like all your actions have an impact. Mm. There, there are no neutral actions. Nothing is neutral. It's like everything we do matters, and it can like matter in a good way or in a bad way. But it's just like we live life as if that there's so many things we say, there's so many things we do that don't count. Like, oh, it doesn't matter that I lied a little bit here. It doesn't matter that you know I turned my cheek on that thing. It, and do I have to say something about everything? Like we're so good at, um, what is it called? Like thinking that, that 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 action there, that didn't matter. Whereas I see it as it all matters. We're always on the way up uh, in consciousness or on, on the way down. It's like a spiral. And it's not like you have to be on the way up. It's more like you are either on the way up or the way down. And everything you do matters. So once you bring that into your consciousness and you see that even very small thing matters because you, I mean, you're there, you're seeing, you're the witness to all your actions, to all your life. You might not be present to all of it, but it all matters. Mm. And um, so therefore, and there's a lot of things going on sometimes I feel in the spiritual world where it's kind of like, I forgive this person, but I don't walk away and tell him that I forgive him. Where I feel it sometimes it's under, what do you call it? Like the importance of, like I have it, like if you really forgive someone, why not tell them? Why wouldn't you? Mm. Why wouldn't you give them the gift of forgiveness? Why wouldn't you tell them? And you don't really know if you forgave them until you face them. Of course you can have the situation where they're, they're not alive anymore, then you can write them a letter or something. But there's a little bit, feel good too much feel good sometimes I, f- I, f- I feel in the personal development world whereas I, I I'm more inspired into feeling real than feeling good because there's a lot of of uh, uncomfortableness that goes with 
working with your spirituality. It's not all nice and candlelights and and feeling good, you know. Mm. And if you look into the old, you know, American Indians or other, you know, Sufism or the Toltecs or whatever traditions, there's a lot of things that is confronting and difficult and painful. It's painful to to forgive your parents. It's painful to, there's a lot of things that I do that is painful. It's painful for a while, but then it changes. Mm. So I feel like adding actions to your words matters a lot. How does that show up when you're a teacher? Because I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, It's it's a craft that is highly underestimated in my opinion. Mm. It's also praised by many people, but good teachers make a big difference. Yeah. Um, how, how, I want to go at this from the right angle. <laughs> um, how has it been for you to become a teacher? Like the, the path or the, the, because I guess somehow you choose it, but somehow it also happens. Yeah. So, <laughs> I feel more like it chose me like I would never in a million years have thought when I was in my very silent years I mean to stand in front of more than two people I would have been I mean laughing at you if you thought if you said that I would ever do that so I don't feel like it's something I chose it's just kind of like Still now, when I think about it, it seems pretty strange mm-hmm. that I would end up teaching anyone. So it was more about giving something than it was about seeing myself as a teacher. I had something that had, I really had something that had helped me in my most painful years, which was like right before I started, before I did my first workshop, like from when I was 16 till I was 24. I traveled and traveled and traveled and I was in so much pain, not only after my dad died, but more about the mess he kind of left behind and not being able to find my way around in all of that. And that, that feeling of being lost in life. I mean, that feeling of just not knowing where am I going? Who am I? What am I here for? Who is here with me? I mean, just being one big question mark about all that created so much anxiety in my life that the minute someone taught me how to, you know, cope with all of that, I just felt like people need to know this. Mm. Other and that was people, a part of the learning workshops and stuff you went through in the yeah, beginning there. Yeah, it was just like, wow, there is something that can heal, but I couldn't find it in university. Uh, I've studied for many years in university, you know, I've I've really been searching and it was just very difficult to find anything that really helped. I did a lot of drugs, you know, I did, yeah, I mean, I've been in so many crazy places in the world, you know, I lived in Borneo with, you know, with all these tribal people. I've, I've just been searching, searching, searching for something that could heal something. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally found that and something worked, I was like, whenever I met someone where I could recognize in their eyes that they had some of that pain that I had, of course, I just wanted to to tell them somehow that, mm-hmm. you know, you can heal that. It is possible. I know you don't think so, but it really is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I became a teacher. Like I wanted to pass on that knowledge. And, that, you know, that's also partly how we connected, you know, Um because you had a lot of pain as well, and and I just knew that there was a way out of it. Mm-hmm. And and when I look back, I can see that sometimes I, you know, the intention was be- sometimes better than the. I didn't always know what to do, but but I have helped a lot of people, um, me included. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and and I have become better at it, you know. But I always recognize this pain of being lost being lost in life and you can really be lost even though, you know, today I coach extremely successful. Some people are extremely successful, some are not that I coach, but but that is not what defines whether you're lost or not. Mm. You know, some of the richest people I've coached have been the most lost, not on their own path. I call it their inner Camino, you know, their inner journey. And if you're not on that, my experience is around 30, if you're not on that path, it starts to get really painful. 
So, so I think I became a teacher just from that listening to my heart and just wanting to, to use my knowledge to, to help other people. That's really how it began. Hmm. There's a story that you told when I was doing the coaching program initially. Oh no, what did I say? <laughs> um, it's a story about, it's actually one of the stories about how you needed to speak in front of people, I think. Yeah. Do you want to share that? Because it made a big impact on me and I still remember it today. Yeah. You're also a good storyteller. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did a workshop where, I mean, this was actually uh, one of the first workshops I did. I mean, I felt in this self-development world that was like a small world when I started doing my trainings was in 96. So in Denmark, it was just like, there was very few things, but of course there were things going on. And I, 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 I had realized that, that in this community, there was like something for me. And I went to do this training and, and I really thought I was very shy still at this time. And I really thought I could just be in there and just, you know, be in the atmosphere of this workshop and just kind of sit in the back and take a few notes Uh, as this very serious university student I was at the time, you know, and and I really didn't realize until suddenly the last day, I feel like I kind of looked up and I, and I saw the teacher's mouth move in slow motion, like saying something about that we all had to come on the stage and really say something about what we stood for in our lives or something like that. And I felt like I had like a meltdown on that chair I could just feel my heart pounding and it's like I almost had close to an anxiety attack in that chair and I just thought, I'm out of here. I'm out. I'm going home now. And I just said to the girl next to me, look, I'm um, just going to the toilet. Can you please move? You know, I need to get out. And she just looked me in the eyes and she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. Just move. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to get out. <laughs> and uh, And I ran out in the hallway and... I realized out there I forgot my shoes in there and it was a really hot summer day and didn't have a lot of money at the time I was a student and I was like too I just couldn't just leave without these shoes so this guy walks up to me and says um are you okay and I was like yeah I'm okay I just going to the bathroom you know and I ran out in the bathroom and I sat there and I just had a meltdown and I didn't understand what was going on because my ego or my image Like how I saw myself at the time as a very serious university student, always in control. I, I didn't recognize who was this person sitting here, you know, like shaking, crying, humiliating herself. I mean, I just I had no idea who I was in that moment and it terrified me. And and I was embarrassed that I was that I ended up in this situation also you know like how am I going to enter that room again I've I cried I have no shoes you know it's just like a total disaster and in the midst of that somebody knocks on the door and she says are you okay and I was just like go away <laughs> just this lady had noticed that I left the room I guess in a more uncool way than I thought and she noticed it and she came out she said just come out, you know, and I was like, just please leave me alone. And uh, it didn't take long until another lady came out. And I could hear she said, there's a girl who ran out of the room. Have you seen her? And I could hear the other lady say, yes, she's in the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh, could you go away? You know, I just wanted to be left alone. And then, this is so crazy, but another woman came out to the toilet and she said, the whole workshop has stopped, you know, this is girl who left the room, you know, we don't know where she is, something like that. And uh, I felt like, okay, now I got, and they were like, she's in there. And I just had to open the door and come out because this was just turning into like a soap opera or something. And I just opened the door and I said, please stop. You know, I'm in here. I'm okay. <laughs> I just wanted to go to the bathroom, you know. And, um, and, and suddenly the teacher actually came out to the bathroom. And he said, uh, what is going on? And he said, you. And he pointed at me and he said, do you want to talk to me? 
just like, no. <laughs> and I was like, not in that room. And he's like, no, I get that. But maybe should we go to my office and just talk? And I was like, but what about the training? You know, I didn't get it. I was just like, okay. Uh, and he took me into this, his office and... um I have no idea what they did with the training. I mean, they probably gave them an exercise or something. Um, but he looked at me and he said, what's going on? What's happening? And I was like, I have no idea. I was shaking. I was crying. I felt like someone was pointing a gun at me. And he said, well, just just tell me where the problem begins. Or something like that. That's how I remember it. And I just looked at him and i like, where the problem begins? And, you know, I just pointed at my niece. My niece was shaking so bad. I had it like, they are the problem. <laughs> and he just looked at me like it was the smartest answer he ever got. You know, I was struggling with feeling really stupid in this, mm-hmm. what turned out to be a coaching session, my my first ever coaching session. And he just went through, you know, everything I thought was a problem, like my knees, my stomach, my heart, my voice. In the end, my deepest fear was, and I work with fear today, and that probably has a lot to do with this uh, session. My deepest fear was I had nothing to say. But that's not what I said to begin with, because I didn't know. You know, and I was just like, everybody in that room know who they are. They all have, like, something they want to accomplish in their life. They, they know what their values are. They know so much, you know. They have dreams. I have nothing and uh and he was like he just questioned it he was like i don't believe that we all have something what is it that you have and i was like don't you get it you know and and i said okay so so all i i've come up with is is three words you know it's like everybody else have dreams and they have this and that and i have i have three words and he was like and i was like and they're already taken too you know <laughs> And he's like, well, just tell me your words. What are they? And they were like, courage. And I thought that was really stupid. I really longed to be courageous. And I wanted to be creative. And I wanted to be committed to something. That was the only words that had come up for me in, in, in two or three days. And he said, who cares, you know? Just go tell the world your words. And he stood up for me. He stood up for that whatever I had was enough. So I went in to the room and I was still shaking and crying and I just went up in front of the room and I said, you know, this is me and I have three words. And I and I said the word courage and felt it was a joke because, I mean, I just ran out of the room and I've been crying and, I mean, there was everything but... For me, that was everything but courage. And and I looked out and people just kind of stood up and they just started clapping. I just didn't get it. And I said my other words and I don't know, I just didn't understand anything. And I everybody was clapping, clapping. And I, I went down and he came over to me and he said, wow, you are the most courageous girl I've seen in a long time. Because, you know, I haven't seen anyone as afraid as you in a very long time. And you did it anyway. And, uh, you know, that was the first time I realized this, that that good old Nelson Mandela tried to teach us all that, 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 that courage isn't the absence of fear. It is like feeling the fear and, and just doing it anyway. That was, my, that was one of my first true deep insights that I thought courage was all the people who who just did stuff. The courage was all the people in university when I read the study philosophy. It was all the philosophy guys who always had their hands up, who always could quote, you know, Kierkegaard or whoever. You know, it's like those were the ones I saw as courageous. So this completely changed my perspective, and I I I realized that. The courageous ones are the ones who are so afraid and are, are doing it anyway. And so I gave myself a promise and I said to myself that after this, I would raise my hand every day and at university and I would say yes to whatever opportunity somebody 
threw at me. And, um, and like I knew intuitively that I, I, I wasn't capable of choosing, like I would just say yes to whatever. And it wasn't like, I think it was a week later or something. Somebody said like, who'll do the, the speech for all the new people at the university coming uh, in August. And I just raised my hand. Like I, I just had like, I just got to raise my hand. So you basically, you walk through your fear and then you broke a pattern of some yeah. sorts of how to... Yeah, I felt like I at that point I'd, I'd kind of I traveled the world and it looked really great. Like in sense of people were like, "Wow, you've been all these great places," but I was living in a prison. Like I couldn't express myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. And suddenly I felt this small sense of direction, and I was like, I was not gonna lose track of that. Like that, I just knew. And you haven't because today you have a podcast, <laughs> which is called "Feel the Fear" and. It's called do what you fear. Do do what you fear. Yeah. 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 And there's a great question you start with. Um I I probably won't I won't, I won't phrase it correctly, but um and I think I was wondering I think I'll ask you just like you do. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. So um what is it that you fear that if you walk through that fear, um, it would make a difference in your life today. Hmm. That's not how I ask it. I know. <laughs> I ask it in a little <laughs> bit more easy way. But um, what is the question you are asking? How are you, how are I, you asking? I, I say, what is it that challenges you the most mm -hmm. uh, right now in your life mm -hmm. that you would like to talk about? Okay, great. Let's do that <laughs> instead. Like, so the biggest. So Penilla, <laughs> what is it in your life that challenges you most today? Mm, yeah, I feel like there is quite a few challenges at the time. Um, I mean, one of them is definitely uh, leaving soon uh bringing my uh, going with my whole family and all the practicalities about around schools and stuff like that that is a challenge and then i think the the challenge that keeps coming back to me is how to get this knowledge out globally that i would like to because i realize that it's not like i feel like we're not doing a difference or making a difference because we are like a lot of people at, at Mind Juice Academy now working there and we're doing a lot of great stuff. But it's more about, I really, I really, I'm really passionate about, like especially, I just want this knowledge to be available because when I see people suffer unnecessarily, that's really, I mean, suffering is part of our life. Mm -hmm. But but there's also this meaningless suffering. You can also have meaningful suffering where you're suffering because you want to achieve something or it makes sense that you're like, you want to lose weight and you're kind of suffering on the, you know, in the gym. You know, that's kind of like meaningful suffering. But, but there's this meaningless suffering that I really feel for, especially, you know, I work a lot with leaders, but I really feel that children young people feeling lost in life from an early age. I really, my biggest challenge is how do we get the message out? And, and, and also how do we, how do we get the, you know, the knowledge presented to people in a way where it's more real, mm -hmm. where it's not always wrapped in pink or, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I'm an author, I write books, and, and I get the dilemma that authors want to sell books. But I would love it to be a little bit more honest sometimes, like a little bit more humble. Like What part of it? It's just like, it's kind of like the, the self-help, like change your life in, in three weeks kind of statements that, yeah, on one hand, of course you can change the direction of your life in three weeks, but it's just kind of like some of the, like there's a famous statement that you can change your life less than you think in a short mm -hmm. while, 
but more than you think in the long run. Yeah, I've heard that too. And and that that thing about you can really as soon as you're on your path, the right path, it's it's not really so much about reaching a goal. The goal is really just there to bring you on your path. It's all about walking the path. And as soon as you you feel like okay, I'm on the right path now, it's to 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 say a very specific example, you know, like you have this person who's totally overweight, she needs to lose weight. And as soon as she can feel like now I'm on the path where I will get back in shape, she'll actually feel in alignment mm-hmm. even before she reaches the goal. So it's all about being on the right path. And I just feel there's a lot of the media. I used to be part of the media selling stories that feeds the ego and also a lot of self-help help books that are somehow feeding the, the ego's Patient, lack of patience, you know. Yeah, and they the, can get a little bit commercial run once in a yeah. while in, in kind of like their rabbing and yeah. wording and stuff like that. So and how do you... Yeah, totally. I feel... And that. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna criticize or bring light to all the stuff that are out there right now that is not really working. or Or you could say certain things that are not working alone like on its own it has to be you have to add more stuff before it will work and i really want to clarify some of all these misunderstandings that that send people off track because then when people have have tried and they've tried really hard and they don't get the result that they thought they would get then i experience people get really like really like in despair sometimes Mm. and that really breaks my heart your new book is coming out soon. Yeah. In the it's gonna be in the late spring. In late spring? Yeah. Have you landed with on a name yet? Yeah, it, it I think it's gonna it's gonna be uh Yeah, I think so. I think I'll <laughs> Well perhaps not share it. I, I think I'll wait if you're not hundred percent until it's completely <laughs> but, for but sure. But perhaps you could say a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, it's 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 about like I've written four other books and and they've also been been published around in Europe and stuff. But but this is like the the book I always wanted to write. And I and I when I, I you know I teach people also uh, in public speaking, and it's kind of like I have what I call people have like their a symbolic dream and then they have their real dream. A lot of authors have and and artists have this too, like. Like I've been writing books, but I've not been writing the book I really wanted to write. That's the one I've been writing on now. I've been writing on this book for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And it's really about all the knowledge that I gathered from different parts of the world, from different traditions, the teachers I got to work with over the years. Some of them have died now. It's like all from Debbie Ford, who did all the shadow work, to Dan Riso, who done a lot of the Enneagram work. Jesper Yule, the family therapist who died um, here in the spring in 2019. It's just been, I've just gathered so much knowledge from, I feel really lucky. But I also went to find them, you know, like it didn't, they didn't just knock on my door. You know, of course I went to find <laughs> them. But I still feel very lucky that I got to work with a lot of really great, mm-hmm. like Claudio Naranjo, mm-hmm. uh, who's an Enneagram teacher who just died this summer. You know, I didn't get to work directly with him but I was in his trainings and I got to I was going to do an interview with him this summer and then he died um it's always different like when you've been reading the books and then you meet them and yeah it makes a difference because it gives a different I mean at least that's the experience I've had with yeah I've been pursuing that a lot for many years as well and it's just gives you a certain it gives you a different layer of of understanding and you get a different sense of the quality of the teaching definitely it's very different and and I've I've just happened to work with a lot of giants that are not here anymore and that's also concerned me i've I've sometimes felt like all the elders are dying you Mm. know (laughs) eventually (laughs) what what are we gonna do no but i mean in the self-help scene there's been some really huge um giant teachers that uh, has died and and so i just kind of wanted to yeah to put it into a book how is it for the book yeah it's really for for anyone who is interested in in 
getting more deep knowledge about how to work with your spirituality, how to work with your personality and and to eliminate some of all the confusion and like like to share with people why fear is necessary, what how fear can be your friend, how doubt is something you need. Like basically there's no state you can be in that is not there to forward you. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how people see it. It's like we're not equipped with anything or capable of anything that is not there for a reason. So if you can add meaning, meaningfulness into like when you're grieving, you're letting go of something. When you're in doubt, you're diving deeper into your spirituality. It's like, ah, okay, I'm there for a reason. It's not without, I mean, it's not meaningless that Mm -hmm. I'm still devastated that my mm-hmm. girlfriend or boyfriend left me a year ago you know it all makes sense so i kind of want to make sense out of things in a way where people is like oh, okay so i'm not in the wrong place i'm exactly in the right place i have everything i need right here with me i have my breath i have my heart i have my mind and that's really all you and you know relationships but you can we're really capable of forming relationships also ongoingly so I just want kind of to tell people like you have it all right here and uh and this is this is a way through all teachings that I've met it all makes sense. Mm. Yeah. In that in or kind of like in connection with that what is the thing or what are other words you can put on like how what's helped you the most to get out of your comfort zone? through those years and you're talking about the challenges now with mm. growing very fast as a business and um, also having to travel a lot. There are things you need to do to keep pursuing that goal mm. um, or not the goal, the vision perhaps more so. Mm. What what has supported you to, to actually step out the comfort zone and learn those things because we're not always fortunate enough to have a teacher you know, drags us out of the toilet and gives yeah. us a coaching session. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I also looked myself from I was 16 till I was 24 until I found a teacher, you know, so it's not like it can take forever. You know, you just got to keep looking. The teacher can also be a book. It can be like, it's just like the worst thing I feel people can do is to stop looking, you know. Um, so what helps me to to keep pushing myself out of the comfort zone is I call the comfort zone, the false comfort zone, because it's really like also the anxiety zone. So it's like, I know if I stay there too long, I get more afraid. And I know exactly what it feels like to have a lot of fear in your life. And fear is something like on the lower levels of consciousness, there will be a lot of fear. So it's not like it's just like it it brings with it too much fear brings with it a lot of bad habits, a lot of bad language. You know, it's like it impacts your mind, your heart, your body, your habits. So why I've lived in fear for so many years. I mean, I feel like I'm allergic to staying there too long. So I th- I feel like and I have been there again. It's not like I've you know, especially with growing the business and with more and more work and mm. and I can still find it very difficult to say no to people that, you know, I, I prefer, of course, like everybody else does, if I can refer people to somebody. Mm-hmm. And But it, it also, you know, over the years, the more I've worked with this, it's also like people that contact me can be people that are very challenged. And sometimes I have to say no because... People who are very challenged, they need very mm. stable help. Yeah, very you. structured, very stable, very reliable help. And I'm just not in a position right now where I can offer that to to more people than I already do. So And it's taken something to learn to say no to people who really need it, I suppose. It has, and it's still a challenge because I keep telling myself I'll make a di- bigger difference if I write a book and it becomes available. Mm. Uh, books have made a I mean, I love books. I read books all the time and I feel books, if I meet someone who's in a crisis or I always su- you suggest books or podcasts or audible or, you know, something. So, but I just don't want to 
be in the comfort zone for too long because I don't know, I just feel I know it inside out. Like J.K. Rowling's have said, you know, the more you, you know, she said in her, her commencement speech to Howard that those people who kind of like put up barriers around themselves and kind of move into their own comfort zone are also the ones who have the biggest nightmares. And I really agree with that. Mm. And I'm not here on earth to just have nightmares. You know, I've had plenty of those. So, you know, I've been through my own fear, like my own eight years of, 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 of being totally lost in life. And on top of that, I've had a daughter who I almost lost and I didn't know for many years whether she would survive. So I feel like I've taken my big share of, of having fear very close in my life and, and I'm not so afraid of it anymore. So, you know, but I mean, of course, I mean, yeah, I totally get that. I mean, you grow and you expand. It's one of the things you taught me is when you do it, like the comfort zone expands. But there's always pitfalls, you know. There's there's, always pitfalls. And I want to ask you about one, actually, because uh, another thing thing I learned from you was um, what it means to be a victim. Yeah. And how we slip into that. Yeah. And... um, and I will say it's kind of like I'm, I'm super curious about it for myself in my own life. And I feel like I'm not a victim in a very big way, seen from the outside at least. But then I've started to notice more granular ways I, that I will be a victim. Yeah. And it will show up in ways where I'm not taking action on yeah. things that are actually important. And then I have like half-assed excuses for not doing it. Yeah. Um, or I'd be a victim in terms of not taking enough care of myself in ways that I know are important. Yeah. Um, so uh, where do you slip? Well, I am. Where do I slip? I mean, I think one thing, a place where I don't slip so much anymore is my inner dialogue. Like, to 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 treat myself with kindness is definitely something I have worked a lot on for many years now. Where I feel I've really transformed something. Um, where I do still slip is that I still uh, can end up working too much. You know, um, being so driven, and you'll. I always kind of watch out for if somebody or even myself is very driven, it can also come from fear. Mm. You know, it can come from purpose, but you always got to watch out. Like it's suddenly coming from the fear of, for instance, saying not making a difference. Mm -hmm. So it's always, you always got to look out for both. When it's coming from fear, what stories are you telling yourself about it? I think it's on a, for me, it's like kind of like not on a very conscious level when it's Mm. coming from fear. It's more like I can feel that, I become, you can always feel when somebody is very fear driven, I become very like attached to this has to be done and, and this can, this opportunity has to be used. And, you know, there's, there's an unwillingness in myself of saying, you know, okay, we're just going to have to say no to this, even though, because the challenge I'm in right now, you also asked what my biggest challenge is right now is also like, like we used to really, you know, struggle to to tell people about that we existed in our work and stuff. And now we have another kind of struggle, which is that we have more people um, wanting to attend trainings and stuff than we can facilitate. Mm. And that's, of course, a kind of a luxury situation, but it's also like, and I know a lot of startups and companies that deal with this, like how do you how do you keep the quality up? How do you answer people, like get back to people? How do you have the resources to f- to follow this growth that is right now? So that is a challenge. And I do get sucked into it sometimes like, whoa, like how do we challenge, how do we, do we say yes to this or do we say no? We We do not have the resources, even though this is something we've been dreaming about for years to take on this kind of job. We just got to say no. That is a challenge. Hmm. So I can imagine. And then sometimes we end up working too much. Yeah, and then I end up working too much and sleeping too little and 
yeah, that is also one reason why we're we're going to the states because everybody relaxes over there. No, <laughs> joking. <laughs> no, but just to get a little bit, you know, away from the uh, away from the yeah. the daily. Yeah, and and um, working like that, and well, one thing is running a business. I think that will make anyone lose their breath once in a while. Yeah, um, and. You've also been talking about like how your daughter's been going through a lot of tough stuff through the years. Um, how does one juggle that? Like juggle the family stuff with the starting a business? Like, have you had any rules or like ways that you've thought about it, philosophies that you applied that have helped you mm. kind of like balance that through the years? Or how how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I mean now I worked with this family therapist for many years in the beginning and, and he taught me a lot of stuff that is actually a little bit different to what I knew at the time. So, so what I believe in is that I want my kids to find their passion in their life. Uh, I think a lot of parents, they kind of like try to protect their children from feeling any kind of pain And I don't think that's the that's not the kind of parent I want to be, because life is painful and, and 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 shit does happen, you know. And and I think the worst thing that can happen to a child is not to to not know why they're here, like what is their path in their life. So you know they've been involved in in my business company since they were born. I mean they 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 come in there, you know. We did a, a kids academy at uh, some while ago, and and they've both done trainings there, and they help with whatever they can. And it's like, I think a lot of parents they feel they have their job and they come home to their family. I don't, I don't kind of have that distinction. It's kind of like we'll kind of help each other. We're, they they are they can always come in and and take part and help out and talk to some of the other great people that are working there and. So that's definitely one aspect of it. And I always felt like I was always inspired when I, before I became a mother, I was inspired. I had one teacher who I felt like she never made a problem out of having kids. That's how I saw it. I was like, and I remember telling her, I was like, I'm just so inspired by the way you just, she was just like, yeah, we can do that. And she just like put the, her kids in the car and like we could we did workshops many different places and and it was just never a problem to have kids and of course it is a challenge to have kids but you don't have to make it into a problem and uh yeah my kids have sometimes you know uh fallen asleep on a couch at work with a you know blanket and i've carried them out in the car whatever but but i, I believe in being together and and i think they'll both start their own stuff I mean, they both write music and and create music. They're 13 and 16. You know, it's kind of like the whole idea of, you know, also with that generation that they are, we know that that generation is going to create their own jobs. All the statistics are saying that, and, and they definitely have the best, you know, experience of like, what does that take? But if you ask my children, I, I know that they will say that they they sometimes feel like I work too much or... You know, or that, you know, an important call are coming in, and that is a constant challenge to, to be there, uh, for is, them. Is there something you would like to have done more of? Yeah, I think I think I would always. I I, I think most parents would always have liked to have been there even more, but I feel like at some point it was like five, six years ago, my daughter was very shy and I knew that from myself. And and we started, me and my fiance and, and the kids, we started doing martial arts three times a week together. And that was at the time a huge challenge because I had to leave work at three in the afternoon, like Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But we did it for four years. And that I'm really proud of. And that completely transformed her, you know, trust in herself you know like she was so small and she started doing you know kung fu and started like <laughs> trust in herself and then mm -hmm. after two years they got a bit tired and we joined a, a boxing school instead and we, she did both of them did boxing and we were on this family team so 
yeah, of course I would have loved to have been there even more, but but I'm also glad I feel like I have prioritized them mm. um, being there for them, traveling with mm -hmm. them. So speaking for kids in general, because you, I know you've done a lot for young people and especially kids as well yeah. with the Kids Academy and with other other activities as well. So I have a sense like you've heard a lot um, that a lot of adults don't hear because yeah. it's a different kind of conversations that you've been able to create. Mm -hmm. um, so with that insight, like what what is the what is the advice coming from the kids to parents today? What what is it that you would say, parents, if you figure this one out, mm. it would actually make a huge difference. It's something about that 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 kids they long for parents listening more, you know, and it's like uh stop giving advice. Stop giving all that advice. Start asking questions, like open unjudge uh non judgmental questions. Because I learned early on that kids will tell you the truth to the extent that you want to hear it. And I think that's a really good way to see it. Like I've I've had a lot of children truth tellers in my life, children who've told me lots of stuff. Um, and it's like kids have an, a, an psychological capacity and spiritual capacity very early on in life that we kind of ignore when we treat them just as children. It's like one of... When I was um, at a conference when I was president for ICF, the International Coach Federation, I was president for the Danish department for a couple of years, and I was joining this conference where uh, Talpin, uh, what's his name, Talpin Shaha, hmm. who was a psychologist, Israeli psychologist at Howard, he did this presentation where he said that his role model was a woman called... Mm, Uh, Ma Mava Collins, who is an American school teacher, and I started looking her up. There's some clips with her on 60 Minutes, and this woman really inspired me how to be with children. That she had these children in Chicago that she was training, like ghetto kids and stuff. I worked myself a lot with ghetto kids, and and. And she had just noticed that they get kicked out of school, but they can rap the craziest songs. You know, like there is some talent there that is not being used. And she started this school where she was teaching children like Shakespeare and, you know, all this great literature from when they're like five or six, like all this literature with wisdom in it. And it's just amazing what it did to these children where I feel like we sometimes teach children often teach children stuff that is like for children. It's kind of like making them smaller than they are. Same things are happening for teenagers. They're like sitting in math classes, at least in Denmark, and they're learning math that they don't know why should I learn it this way? I can use a calculator, you know? It's like, or, or, or hook it up to some real life stuff, like how to run a business or something. So it's a lot of children and youth who are feeling like the schools are becoming more and more meaningless. Mm. It's like, how can I apply it to this life of mine that is happening with 200 miles an hour and it's kind of like the school is stuck in the mm. kind of past century. And that leads to an enormous feeling of meaninglessness in kids. And, and it's kind of like parents are saying, yeah, but you have to learn that. Right. And and that kind of gap there is in like we do not know what it is to be children today because only children know that hmm. and we gotta we gotta be more humble in 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 meeting kids and youth. Of course, you are their parent on one hand, and you need to set out rules and all this stuff. I completely align with that, but it's just in how we communicate. We need to be more humble, and we don't know what it's like to be a child today. And like my daughter said the other day, she was like, mom, these teachers, like what they're saying to the children, they just forget what it is like to be a child. It's and
or a young person kind of feel that you are really interested and you don't have all the answers, hmm. that's when the, the real conversation can begin. Okay, more listening. Yeah, more okay. listening and more like not knowing. Like more. allow yourself to be like humble in some way. It's difficult because we want to tell them, don't do this, do this, mm -hmm. do that, you know? And, and it's just like, yeah, there's a longing for, kids long for their parents like to connect. At least, at least here in Europe, it's a big thing. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and uh, probably something we adults also miss once in a while. Yeah. To do some real connection with one another. Yeah. Um, we're coming to an end, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel you and I could be talk talking forever and I just put in a new memory card so it actually would be possible. But um, uh, I just want to finish up with some more quick questions. So. Yeah. Uh, What statement or quote would you like every one person, uh, every young person to remember today that would help them if they remembered that statement or quote? I think it would be like, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. I like that. It isn't my quote. But <laughs> it doesn't have to be. <laughs> no, but I just like it. Or that or the Nelson Mandela quote about that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's conquering it. Great. Um, what unusual habit that you have, but you like, describes you? It's a very sn sneaky question. A habit... An unusual habit. Yeah, something that's particular to you. Something that you do that people notice. And yeah. I mean, I have to... I, I, I have to drink coffee when I'm teaching. Like, it, like it's a ritual? Yeah, it's, it's like... If somebody is working with me and they don't know me, it's kind of like... I can really have like a slight panic attack. <laughs> And you know what? I know because... You know? Yes, because you have... Because what people might not know if they haven't been through one of your teachings is that you have something called a course manager. Yeah. Which is a person who's sitting in the back of the room who you can have eye contact with. And I remember just several instances of you like trying to telepathically ask for a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like... But I think all teachers have kind of like some kind of an anchor or something, you know? Yes. And often I don't even drink it. It's, it's, it's just my... Th it's like my. I could probably find something that would be more easy, you know, like that mm. it wasn't fluid or something, you know? But it just... It just came, became that way. So it's like if I walk up on a stage, you know, and there's a lot of people there and... And somebody forgot to put the coffee there. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. It's how, gonna go. how am I going to do this? <laughs> well, you walk through the fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who inspires you? It's a, I, there's a lot of people that inspires me, actually. I mean, I'm both inspired by new people coming up. Um, but also I'm very inspired by old stuff. Like... Um, so I like to listen to people who've tried a lot, like really been there. People who don't inspire me is like people who go up and on the stage and tell people how to live their life and they have never had a session with anyone. Mm. So, you know, people who have integrity, not to be perfect because, you know, we all make mistakes, but like they come from that place of experience, like they've been places They've been on their own path, their own journey. That really inspires me. Where do you find the source? Uh, or where do you find, where's your source of strength for doing the things that you do? Hmm. I mean, in my family, I mean, I, and in my company, it's like, I, I don't feel I could do this work I'm doing on my own. I mean, I would probably always be doing it, but but I, the the whole thing about being a team, being a group of people, like being a tribe, um, I've just noticed 
when I've been away, like there've been times where I was traveling a lot on my own also, where I noticed how quickly my feeling of, you know, inspiration, how, how quickly it disappeared when I wasn't surrounded by people who are on the same path as I am, like they're working on themselves. So, so people really inspire me. And, and so my, my source of inspiration is definitely the, the, the team of people I've been working with for, for years and years and years. Yeah. And students also like my, my students are something like I was teaching today and there was just like, there's this guy, you know, just sharing, you know, in a way that I was so like inspired and impressed by his, his courage to speak about how he had been on this path and he'd done all this great stuff. And then he just kind of went off his path and the pain of that and that courage to, to be so honest was, yeah, so I find inspiration also in connecting with, you know, students, colleagues. Yeah. Great. So I don't have a, an audience of millions of people yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and I, can't, I won't promise that it will, it will be like that. But is there anything for the people who are listening that you would like to share anything that that you feel like people should know about what you're up to right now or things that are happening on your end? Well, I think, you know, we are, like I said in the beginning, like our vision is to take our work global. So we are, you know, working on, like we already have a website, like mindjuice.com that is in, it can be translated into English. Um, but we will in the future have, you know, trainings and meditation stuff lots of different things also for english speaking people because it's something that people have asked for for a long time and it's like it's been really painful to to just say no we don't have anything in english yet so that that is of course one thing and my book is also coming out in the in the states at least that is the that is what me and my Danish publisher, who's, uh, that's what we're aiming at. And then I think the, the last thing is just that, you know, to remember if, if whoever is listening, like if they're in a painful place, you know, there is, there are ways, you know, to, to heal even the, you know, I, I, I normally say that, that what looks like the biggest disaster in our life from one point of view, like a certain mindset that you have, you know, this is like my life's biggest disaster. Will from another consciousness consciousness level look as the greatest gift? And the, we're talking about the exact same situation. So, so you know, it's not something that happens just overnight like that. But it's just to remember that what looks like the worst thing that ever happened to you will in time and with the right steps and plenty of breathing and support turn out to be something that makes sense that you could actually appreciate happened. And I know that can be very difficult to listen to if somebody is in a really difficult situation, but I think whenever I can trust life, I say to myself, like, try to trust life. Like life, life wants you, once it's doing something good for you. There's a lot of people who don't trust in life. We have so much distrust, which is connected with fear. But if you can just trust in life, uh, tell yourself that it's possible, that, that life has something coming for you. Like there is a higher meaning or something with whatever is going on then it's easier to move forward and and get out there and ask for the support or the teaching or the books or the input that you need. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, see where the path takes us next. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It was really... I, didn't, I don't feel like I got to 
tell so many funny stories about you, but uh, <laughs> we can do that next time. Well, yes, <laughs> I'll invite you again. Like okay. it'll be episode number one hundred at least, or something like that. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Cool. Bye. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by Müller Beck, where we help leaders create meaningful results by focusing on purpose, collaboration, and culture transformation. Now, do you want to receive a short burst of inspiration to make your Monday just a little more meaningful? If you do, you can sign up for our newsletter, Meaningful Mondays. In bullet headlines, we share our recent insights from pioneers and thought leaders, provide perspective on leading meaningful businesses in a monthly article, and invite you to the occasional early bird sign-up for events and courses. To sign up, find a link in the show notes or go to the bottom of our website at www.millerbeck.com M-O-L-L-E-R-B-E-C-K.com It will mean a lot to us. And so again, thank you so much for listening and please join us in the next episode. But until then, make sure you make it count.